Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, we're from Cork. And what's happening in Dublin? Nothing. Don't give it. They don't give a shade about it down here. Go play it for Oh, danger here! Danger here! And the Soviets have equalised. Focus on the game. Don't hide behind your cars or your tattoos or your girlfriends or your agents. Play the game. Be careful, the cat. No say the cat is in the sack when you have not the cat in the sack. The great football, the Liam Brady's, the Ronnie Whelan's, the David O'Leary's. This is a great football and country produced players and grown play that rubbish. Yeah, okay. um, I'm out in Ballincollig in Anytime Fitness with George O'Callaghan. George, it's a new venture for you. Yeah, it is something I wanted to get involved with for a while. Um, obviously, uh, it's a big company, with four and a half thousand of them around the world and um, being able to be involved with it coming to Cork and it's just a fantastic project, uh, it's a premier gym and uh, you know it's a gym there for everybody so um, we're really excited. I assume everyone coming to the gym looks at you, big muscular lad, like that's what they want to see isn't it? No, not here, not here, we, we're here for everybody and different goals for everyone so we'll have a different uh, programme for anyone that wants to come to the gym whether it's athletes or people just want to come in and lose weight or and we have all the body scanners as well so it's all about healthy going healthy living and that's what we just want to bring to the beach and the, you know it's just a nice job Graham because you're in a situation where you're you're bringing and making people healthier so it's not a situation where you're out trying to find things and getting people to buy into something this is something for people's health and um, you know it's just I love the idea of it and I really can't wait for it to get going now. I suppose as well being like a footballer people would look to you and go sports athlete and everything so he knows kind of what he's doing when it comes to fitness well, yeah, you've seen me put up my top on, so... Yeah. <laughs> Beach body ready there, like, isn't it? Um, yeah, no, but that's what it is. But it, it, it's for everyone, and, you know, as I said, it's really exciting. It's going to be a great gym. It's going to be a premier gym in Cork, which there's not many of. Just just looking at stuff like that before we get look back in your career, like, how how difficult do you think it is getting into a career after football? It's very, it's very difficult. I was kind of lucky because when I got to about 28, 29, I kind of decided that... It, I had enough of playing football, so for the next two or three years I just journeyed around because you have to make, make wages yeah. and I had a family. But for me I always had the interest of getting in the business side of things and I suppose I was really lucky when I finished I got to work for um, Vasily Markov in London who set up a football agency, he was mm. a Russian guy, so I kind of got into it. But how, how does that come about? How do you just literally become an agent? Because the agency is kind of like changed, there was exams, or how do you just meet this guy? Do you? Well, like, I met Vasily actually, um, believe it or not, I actually met him in a bar. Right. So, uh, so, Most business deals yeah, are done in a bar. And, like, uh, uh, he had uh, 100 rugby players on his books. So we were, they were looking after Tom Croft, the England rugby captain at the time. So, And he wanted to do um, get into football. He loved football. He loves Arsenal. And he wanted to get into teams like that. So he just brought me in and he just took a gamble on me, really, not, which not many people would have done. And uh, lucky enough, I had kind of good contacts because I've been to so many clubs around England mm. and all my ex-teammates and managers. 
and on top of that I was lucky I played in Asia so I had a good contact in Asia to get players out to Brunei and sent Joey and Roy out and a few other players and the Asian thing took off because they won the league and as soon as the Asian thing took off the English lads were all coming to me then as well so it kind of just snowballed overnight which was um, which was a great experience as in we got to travel the world we were around doing deals and, and then just say I was still in football and it was just really interesting and uh, fantastic for my family we lived out in Asia for four or five years and you know what it's something that will never happen again but we were just lucky to have it did you get any players signed up for the UK clubs yeah no we did we had a lot I had uh, Clive Clark came in with us I think you remember Clarkie uh, he's played for Leicester so me and yeah. Clarkie lived in digs together when we, were, when we were in Stoke I was in Portfolio in Stoke Clarkie was after coming from another company so we had really good contacts at Derby um, with, especially with Stoke because Clarkie had all that with West Ham we did a lot of um, sponsorship then with, uh, with Stoke City I was lucky enough then to be in William Hill. We did sponsorship with uh, Tottenham, Chelsea, uh, Everton and Arsenal. So it was really exciting dealing with all these people. And for me, coming out and, as you know, we don't, we don't have much education. A lot of the younger footballers, when we come out of football, yeah. we're just sitting in with people doing contracts and learning the ropes. And for me, it was just being fast-tracked into a situation where I had to deal with contracts and learn them quick and, and learn from really good people and top bosses. So um, for me, it, it just benefited me. But I was just really, really lucky. But getting back to your question, I do realise lads do come out of football and they do really struggle and I see it, you know, because you don't have that structure in life mm-hmm. anymore. You know, we're used to, you're in at nine o'clock in the morning, your kid's in front of you, you're told what to wear, you're told what to eat, told what time to be there. And when you come out of that structure of football, it's really difficult for anyone. You've been player and an agent and agents as well. Sometimes you're always told, don't trust some lads. Does Have you seen a side of it? Know that you're an agent that they go for themselves rather than the players benefit? Yeah, that happens completely. I, I think, like, I, I was lucky I worked with, like, a big bank in Asia, and my boss has said to me that the dirtiest business they work in, or worked in, is football. And the more time I've spent after, after my footballing career and on the agency side and dealing with players and dealing with academies, it's a horrible, it's just hor- horrible business because even recently we were sending young kids over to Ipswich, it was nothing but hassle with parents. Everybody thinks their sons are going to be Ronaldo. Yeah. <laughs> We have, like, regarding contracts, like, I had a really good Chelsea player uh, in England, and uh, we wouldn't sell him in January or in September, in the, or in the August window. And what club was he at at the he time? Was at, he was at Chelsea. He was at Chelsea, right. And he had a loyalty bonus of 1.2 million. No. Uh, in September, we were getting, we were getting 250,000 of it. Whoa. So my boss rang me and said, listen, if any clubs call, don't tell him. That he's that he's that clubs are coming in from keeping in Chelsea till next January until we get our two hundred and fifty grand. So stuff yeah. does happen like that, and that, that's the way it works. That's the business. And like when I signed for Port Vale when I was a kid, the first thing John Rudge sat down, he said to me, he goes, "I'll give you two bits of advice in football." He goes, "There's no friends in football, and never trust anyone." And from what I've learned. It's horrible to say, but it is true. But you're self-employed. It's so true yeah. about football. You're self-employed. Your teammates might be the nicest person in the world, yeah, but at the end of the day, if you're going to take their place, they're going to put a knife in your back as quick. Like, yeah. and, uh, but that's what football is. You're your own business. So, yeah. And I think now you look at kids that come through, like, like in the Premier League, and they're on massive money. These guys are getting million and million worth of contracts, never been to school. So they're basically CEO of their own company. And how, who would trust a young yeah. 19-year-old going to London or wherever part in England with all that money and going well there you're looking after all the money and that's what happens and that's what happens to players some of them get good well get good advice but like the majority of them don't and, uh, and as I say like if you're a young kid and you're getting millions in the bank 
and you don't know what to do with yeah, it. Exactly. It's going to happen, like, you know. So. Um, so going back before playing career again, management career. Have to bring this up. Yeah. A fellow from Cork ending up in Malaysia managing Saba, was it? Saba, yeah. How Saba. does how does that come about? Like, I mean, people only go over there for a glorified holiday. Like, yeah. Saba came about because I was working for a bank over, and we went for dinner, and uh, there was a guy there that was um, involved. With Saba, he had, I think he took over in 1996, and he had David Rowcastle, and he brought in the, David Rowcastle and a lot of English lads, and they actually won the league. But then Saba went through a really bad stage where they got found match fixing, so they got thrown out of the UEFA for about four or five years, and all the players suspended. So they wanted me to come in and kind of create a professional environment for him. Yeah. Um, I was first of all I was going to go in as general manager, but I ended up being general manager and team manager. Um, but the place was a complete mess like you know the pitches was a disgrace the stadium and all that so we kind of tried to push it into a professional era but um, everything is not what it seems you go in there and you do your stuff but listen it's basically like pissing against the wind really like if, you're, if you're over there and involved in things and things aren't screwed in and there was a lot of stuff going on over there in the end which I didn't like and I just basically had enough of it and I just got enough well, like, wow, so, what kind of stuff wouldn't you like it was just dodgy, it, there was dodgy stuff going on and I just wasn't happy with it. Like, there's too much corruption in those leagues anyway. Yeah. So And I knew that it was kind of happening and I just thought to myself, well, I'm not going to get involved in it. So for me, I was after spending four or five years out there anyway and I just thought it was time to come back anyway. So we just we just came home back to London, or we came back to London and then we came back to Cork. Uh, I listened in an interview, you talked about El Hadj stuff. Yeah. How, how does he end up signing there? Like as well, he must have been stuck for like cash, the career yeah, he had. Exactly, he was, exact, that's exactly it. Juff was, Juff was, was at Doncaster, I think, and, and Clive Clark rang me and said, listen, I can get you Juff for 7,000 a month, US dollars. So for me... That's cheap for him. Yeah, cheap for them, because yeah. if, if you're a marquee signing over there, you're probably talking thirty to 40,000 a month. So we got Joe for 7,000 a month, which was peanuts. And I thought, well, we'll use him as a marketing tool for four yeah. or five months. And if he's acting like the way he does act, we'll get rid of him. But um, no, he just came in. He's probably the most horrible human being I've ever liked. What? He just, he just is what, exactly what I see. Cause but some you know, people I've listened to, some people say he's grand by himself, but in a group. Yeah, he's, no, the, he's, not, he's not even grand by himself. Like, what was your first encounter meeting him? See, my first one, he kind of came in, he came in at the start, and I didn't want to deal with him personally. So I kind of kept my distance from him. So he was kind of like all about me and doing what I told him to do. And then I actually took Clarky's advice, and Clark was like, oh, Joe's a bit upset, you don't, you don't mingle with him. So mm. I kind of just started, like, had lunch once or twice with him. But Joe was clever, and he was panicking, I would say, financially, you know, because he was going to the top bosses saying he wasn't getting his wages, and he was getting his wages, and just causing really just do really dirty horrible things like in, in media or with, with the bosses so um do you think he was undermining you going behind your back yeah so? of course he was sure, sure listen i was only like a 35 year old irish skinny guy yeah this guy's out playing in world cups and playing for liverpool and all that so he probably was looking at me thinking like how's this of my yeah. boss like who's this guy you know but um the thing was with the club i never really got the back in fully because they're all liverpool man over there and so the bosses were all about him as in giving him the freedom of what he'd done. And I, ha I had a few arguments with the boss saying, listen, you can't do this because he'll actually end up upsetting the whole change room and doing this and that. And which, at the end, he did. So for me, 
Like, did he outlast you there, or did you outlast him? No, no, he, he outlasted me for a bit all right, because he stayed on, but as soon as I left, and, and I had a little bit of control, and as soon as I left, he tried to take over, and in that four or five weeks, then they realised they couldn't hack him, and they got rid of him themselves. Was he like, do you know, if you go and train, you get these fellas who were just, was he tossing off training, or was he just arrogant, was he just not giving a rat's ass, or was he putting in the effort and just hammering other lads, or what kind of way? No, he came he... in and... He came in, he wasn't fit. Like, I'll give you one instance. He, he, like, he, he was really kind of acting up. And all the top bosses came. We had 13 bosses there. So I didn't have one boss. I had to deal with 13 of them. So they have all come into the stadium to watch him training. So I said, right, Joffy, like, if you think you're that clever, let's see how fit you are. So I just ran the bollocks out of all the lads. I said, like, everyone runs. Right. And ran him and showed that he was last in every run. And then I, I would just scream and go, like, Jeffy, do it again. Not, not quick enough, you know. Mm. But then he pulls up with a hamstring strain. Oh, my hamstring's at me. So what can you do then, you know? So that's... But he, he, he knows the game inside. Yeah. He knew how to play it, like, but... I like, do think managers... The only managers that could deal with him are, are like, the Sam Adelices and all those people that are actually good characters and, you know, they know, they know the story with players like that. But anyone trying to be fair with him, you got no chance really. It's hard though when he's like in a position of power, like one of them players where, like you say, he's, he's a big name and then the owners are probably thinking he's the big attraction to us. Like, Yeah, no, know. that's what he was. He was a big attraction. And my problem when I was a Sabah was that we had four, we were only allowed four foreign players. And when we signed them, we couldn't change them till mid-season. Mm. So for me then, if I got rid of Joff, I only have three foreign players and that makes a massive difference when you're playing in those leagues because the foreign players ultimately are all your best players yeah so going in with only three would have been devastating for us so I tried to try my best to cope with it but like Graham kind of look back I was only 35 you know I was still very young and I was really learning business learning coaching and I was trying to a job where we were getting 35,000 people at every game I was dealing with 12 13 media cameras every day like it's four and a half million people in the city so you're basically trying to a job like a championship job or a premier league a lower yeah. premier league job and like I was not ready for it whatsoever. Like like I didn't realise how big uh, how big it was all going to be and, and, and dealing with regarding bosses, coaches. So I was general manager, so I could be doing a player's contract and then I'd have another three guys asking me, Can I change a light bulb? You know, just stupid things like that. And like just like what are you doing? So but if I had my chance again I would have done it totally different. Yeah. But um as I say it's a really good learning curve for me in 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 business and in life because I learned so much of it and took away so much from it. Did you notice big differences? Like, is in being a player and then going into management, is there that much of a difference? Yeah, yeah, there is because I think when I went in as a manager, I kind of thought, because listen, I was not always great in the changing room. I kind of thought, well, this is the way they should be treated, yeah. and I tried to treat them the way I wanted to be treated. But I realised that was completely wrong. You know, I think I think when you're a manager, ultimately, I think they have to have the fear of you. And, and I think when I went there, they didn't really have the fear of me yeah. because I was too nice. But um. Yeah, I think that's a big mistake I made because I always used to think, oh, if your manager's nice to you and my manager was nice to me, I'd do whatever he wanted me to do. But it doesn't happen because footballers, we're, we're greedy anyway. We're brought up to be selfish yeah. in the game, you know, and, and if you do that, then it just doesn't work. So you started your career with Port Vale, and this is where I'm on about agencies as well. Your agent at the time, I read that you were linked with a move to Spurs yeah. and you took you stayed at Port Vale. Like, I, what happened there? I Seriously. Was, I went to Port Vale and when I started out, I kind of got in the first thing. And I remember um, Arsenal came in for me when I was 18. But I signed up with an agent called Mel Steen. He was Gaza's agent because Gaza was my favourite player. So I, I rang 
Mel and said, oh, Mel, what am I going to do? And he goes, listen, I don't know what's happening. So I was down in the... We were this is the Arsenal move now. Yeah, we were out in the training ground and I came outside and I was waiting outside the office, John Rudge's office, and um, Royce, who's assistant manager for Wenger, came out and said, George, we can't get you this time, we'll get you next time. So I went into John Rudge and I said, oh, listen, I want to go to Arsenal. And he goes, well, they've only offered a million, but we want two million for you. And he goes, you're not going to get a game before Petit and Vieira, so you go stay here with me. So then, looking back, Mel didn't really give me any advice on it. Mm. And for me, coming from, you know, where I'm from, Whitechurch, you kind of grew up in the community, kind of the GA culture, you kind of think, well, I stick to what I know. So after, so I stuck with Portfield, which were really good at the time. Like, we were really doing really well in the championship. So I thought, well, I'll stay and play another year in the championship with uh, Portfield. Or a championship at the time. Yeah, and we were really good. We had a really good side, and it was a really good family feel about it. So I said, oh, I'm happy to stay there. But then John Rudge went. That happened in November, and John Rudge went got sacked in January, and Brian Horton came in, and then Brian Horton came in and went from playing the first team playing against Liverpool in the FA Cup the week before he came in and said, forget the rest of the season, you're going with the U team for the rest of the season, and he brought in a load of new midfielders. So I was back from being. Why was that, do you think? Like, sometimes managers, they were, did you just did you ever have a clash? Or no. It wouldn't have been your wages, wouldn't have been a problem, because managers do that sometimes. Like, believe it or not, like, then days, I was quiet, and I wouldn't really stu- stood up for myself, right? <laughs> I actually don't believe it. <laughs> no, really. I kind of went in, he said that to me, and I was like, right. And that was kind of the start of me, kind of, like, thinking, and that was kind of the start of, what do I do with the weekends? Not in the first-team squad. So I had 13 months to take me get, get back into the first-team. I got back into the first team then around, I think, about February, March. And then, after about 10 or 11 games, David Pleach tried to sign me for Tottenham. So then John Rudd rang me and said, oh, Tottenham, we're going to sign you. And poor fella wrapped off me a year's contract. And uh, I spoke to John Rudd and said, OK, then I put down the phone. Brian Horton rang and said, you know what, George, you're doing really well. We'll give you a two-year deal and they doubled my money. Then I rang John Rudge back and said, what will I do? Will I push, try to push the deal to Tottenham? And he goes, no, he goes, you're in the t- back in the team. He goes, you play another couple of years with Portfell. And he goes, then go, because you won't play at Tottenham. So <laughs> I took his advice and I signed a two-year contract. I said, within about 14 months, I was finished. Like, I, was, I was like, set home. But then, because you didn't sign that Spurs one, like, surely you're thinking, why don't you go sign for Spurs? If yeah. you don't play, you can always go back and loan to or Portfell, no disrespect yeah. to him. And surely that has to go in your mind then going, every time you're playing for Portville, what am I doing here? Yeah. Anytime you have a game where you go, this is crap, surely. Like, I could play a wide heart lane, why didn't I back myself, you know? Like, I, I do think that, and that's why when I am involved you know, with, with lads going to England and in my agency, I um, I try to look at it that way. Like, because you're dead right, you go or you play and you can always come down the levels. Mm. But, but I just didn't have the advice and I just listened. I was happy out living in Stoke. I was there since I was 15, it was like my home. And um, for me, you grew up, like you've been up north of England, they all think London's too big and stay away from London mm. and all that. And that's their mentality, which is completely wrong. But I was kind of brainwashed that way anyway. So for me, like it was a massive mistake, obviously a big, big mistake. But you know, it's something that I just have to learn with and something that I try to advise parents and kids now when, when they're close. You to never me. struck me as a guy who didn't have it, but did you have a lack of confidence? Because surely it holds you back when they said you won't play. Is that confidence in yourself then going, well, I mustn't be good enough? So I, I don't think it was lack of confidence. I just think I was too loyal and I was too comfortable in the situation I was in. Do you know, the good lifestyle. It was like basically living in Cork, like playing for Cork City. And instead of getting that shove and thinking, well, I should go to Tottenham or thing, mm. I did, probably didn't have the guts to go, go ahead with it. 
because I didn't want to rock the boat every time I was getting these contract offer or them clubs coming in for me it was when I was uh, when I was playing in the first team and I was happy playing in the first team because like Port Vale was like my life at that time because yeah. you know, I was 15 and, and I loved playing for Port Vale I lo- like I loved that club so um, looking back like um, it was this massive massive mistake like you know 100% I should have yeah. pushed for Arsenal pushed into Tottenham and then came down and went on loan to clubs but it's kind of like we all know that now because we all play yeah, fancy football a great and, thing, and, like. and player manager but them days it wasn't really as much like that you weren't really when you were a soldier you were a soldier you never really came back back alone to that club you know yeah. so it didn't really happen them days you kind of went to play or you didn't go play at all um, do you think one of the other reasons you were at Port Vale which I thought was very strange Robbie Williams was he you actually made friends with him did you? yeah so Robbie used to come in when he just after to leave and take that so Robbie used to come to the games and um, the first time I met him actually we had a um, testimonial and we were all back. We were in a stag in Dublin, so we've all come back. We've all come back dying from uh, from Dublin, and we were in the gym. And Robbie came in with a uh, Jonathan Wilts, and they were like, "Oh, which one's O'Callaghan?" So I was like, "Oh, it's Robbie Williams, what now?" Like, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, it's me." Like, and he's like, "Oh, he goes, I sold you and player manager to Leeds for fifty million last night." He goes, <laughs> "So I actually think Robbie thought I was worth fifty million, so he thought I was better than everyone else because I was worth fifty million on player manager." And then we just had a friendship from there. Like, we used to meet up, and like he used to be around the club all the time, and. Like he's very good to me. Like went out with him one night and he took his boxer shorts off and because uh, I was going home and I needed his autograph for my sister and he went and just gave me his boxer shorts for my sister. She hasn't framed at home and all that kind of stuff. So it must have been like a different lifestyle going on with him then. Like that must be the first time yeah. of going. But it was mad because when Robbie was mad, he was he was, he was like you know like one of us. But he went away then. He went away to America for a couple of years and he came back a completely different guy. Like you know he was mm. totally different. Like you know his hair, he was sharp and like he looked great and. But um, yeah, it was great. It was great to meet him. You know what I mean? I think he's actually playing in Portfell now in the summer, so nice. free tickets for that. Get one, tickets I over there. He's, living, that. he's been living off my interviews. <laughs> You're going back over as well, no? Yeah, no, we will do. We'll do. We'll go back. We'll go back and see him. Um, you came back then, Cork City. Was it always kind of? Was it a move you felt like? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Or were you kind of like I really don't want to leave England, but I nope. just have to do it. Yeah, well, when I left Portfell, because. Like I was kind of like all over the place as a kid then because I was always on my own and never asked for help. So I would never phone home and say there was something wrong with me or I needed help or anything. So when I came home, Port Vale got rid of me and they said, oh, you'll never play football again. Uh, Martin Foyle actually said that to me. And uh, Did you follow with Port Vale at the end or no, something? Not really. Just, to say that to you. I just lost my heart and it was gone out of it. Like And, and I kind of came to the stage where I don't know whether I was just down on myself. I didn't want to go training. I just didn't want to be nowhere near it because I knew everyone was falling apart. So I didn't want to be near the club, and when that happened, then I didn't want to go training. I go training, I wouldn't really try. I just, I just wanted to get in and get out. And when that started happening, then you know yourself, and you, you don't want to go training. Yeah. You're, you're like you're, you're finished. So when all that happened, then it's kind of a big shock. Kind of no other choice but to come back to Cork. So. Were you thinking of actually finishing up then, like because yeah. we're suffering like. Would you say mentally you were actually it was breaking you down? Like, I know that, but like, do you actually think it was a point of like this is actually really serious without asking for help? Like, you know the way things are. No, people do reach out a lot more. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think if you'd been playing, no, you would have asked for that help, and it would you probably would have stayed on? Yeah, I, I do think that, especially with the club, because I had managers there that came up with me through the youth team and all, and they should have seen what was going on with me. And listen, you're responsible for your own actions anyway, so mm. like it's ultimately my own fault. But I do think as a club nobody really had my back or looked out for me like no one kind of caught me and said like George what's going on like do you need help or do we need to do this for you like you're not yourself but them days 
like you're talking this is what like 2000 2000 the clubs didn't care and managers yeah. it was old school you're just thrown out there if you didn't do the job to get rid of you you get replaced so you kind of have a fear of asking anyone for help back then you would never ask no one for help so um, it was basically kind of like just I just kind of went into meltdown just like everything unraveled you didn't know what I was doing I was just reckless I didn't care what happened or what I, what I was up there whether I was going out or what, what was going on uh, like for training or with the club so ultimately they got rid of me they paid up my contract and got rid of me and then, then I was back home when you say you like going out would you drink two three times a week turn into training drunk or anything like that like was it like players do go through like this sort yeah. of things that people don't realise like that you do eventually just end up throwing to drink because there's nothing else to do kind of but that's the way it was because I was in that I was in that culture it was a drinking culture so if you get dropped you go drinking if you're playing and you win yeah. you go drinking like when I started at a port well we had no other choice everyone had to go out on a Wednesday night you had to go out and get, like, get pissed with the first team on a Wednesday night the whole squad doesn't matter who you are you get fined if you didn't and would you train Thursday then we'd all be in training Thursday Friday then if you're not in the squad all the bomb squad go out we all go out then the lads come back from the match on a Saturday we all go out so it just became a vicious circle where and for me when you have no family and I was on my own you're only, yeah. the only people in your life are your teammates and the people around so it's either that or sit in the house so you just think oh well I'll just go out there so I might go out the lads other than sitting at home all night so that's the way it was and yeah. that, that was just, just that kind of circle that's hard to get out, get out of when you're in it because you're probably on a few drinks to forget how bad it is do you know and, and yeah. that's what happens to players and they see it all the time and a lot of players ring me about it, whatever. Then. But that, that is what happens. Like, it's a lot more support now, as you know. Like, the, the PFA or the PFA in England are brilliant. But back then, no one cared, man. Because I used to see you team players in Portfell who are similar, like 17, 18 year olds. Like, no help, no structure, no nothing. Like, just thrown in digs, basically treated like cleaners, just come in, clean the stadium, barely trained and sent home, you know. So, it's, you know, it's, it's not really a great life when, when you look at it that way. Yeah. Um, was it Dolan signed you for a city? No. I got a, first of all, I came back and I got called up. I played with the Glen and I got called up to the Cork hurling thing. Right. So then I was thinking, will I just go play hurling? And I got offered a job in the Fire Brigade. So, um, you scored about, I remember that. You scored about seven or eight points for Cork, didn't you? Yeah, in yeah, yeah. Intermediate game. An intermediate game, yeah. And then they were, they were bringing me up for the... I think I was going into the, like, the, the panel for the senior squad. And then Liam Murphy gave me my contract. And then it was on the echo that I was going to play for Cork in the championship. And Morph rang me, Morph like, George, yeah. if you play or not, you're not getting paid. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, fine, I, I, won't, uh, I won't play then because I obviously need my wages. So I pulled out that and then just went in into Cork City, like, which is, it was a complete culture shock for me. Pat was involved. Eventually he came along, Pat. Which, uh, yeah, Pat. Because from what I was speaking with the lads, like his regime is something... Blood tests and everything for alcohol, like on a Sunday. Yeah. Was that true? And the doc yeah. would cover for you, basically. But the funny thing, um, yeah, Pat was all that, like you know, checking for everything, the whole lot with Dave Mahealy, he's with the Munster coach. But um, I wasn't really, I never really stuck to those rules. Be often, he used to bring us in on a Sunday morning, and we used to have to do the hurdles and all that. Like, and myself and Dan Murray would come in, like, and. I'd be after hitting the hurdles and breaking them and falling through them and everything. <laughs> but like, I, I used to kind of get away with it. The other lads didn't. So, um, Is that because you were just playing well? Yeah, because he probably needed me, you know, and I was probably different to everyone else. And I suppose he probably knew that I well, kind of an ability for him to win matches for him. So I kind of... I suppose the best example would be... 
he sent me one night to go give uh, Ronan Keaton an award or a signed Cork City jersey for uh, his mum had just died for uh, for cancer for his for his mum's cancer uh, charity. So Pat said to me on a Saturday, "Go enjoy it and have a good night." So I was like, "Oh, perfect!" Like, yeah, I mean, good you night can have a few, like, like yeah. yeah. So we were out, like we were up on the top table, and uh, I was drinking away, and the Cork City fan goes, "Pat Dolan's behind you." This is about twelve o'clock. I was like, "No, he's not." He goes, "He told me have a good night." So Pat's bounced into Silver Springs, crossed the dance floor, caught me, and went called the waiter. Four pints of water for George. <laughs> so I'm like four points of water I was like trying to chat up the bodies that were on the top thing so I was like Pat I'm not leaving like I goes you hope me enjoying my night right he was like no you're coming back so uh, he's uh, he's pulled me out and he dragged me across and he threw me into the car went to my house sent me into my mum and dad's at about quarter to one I was thinking he'll be gone in ten minutes I'll get a taxi back into town but Pat sat in my drive till five o'clock in the morning oh so God. I just gave up in the end so I just went to bed I was like I'm not going to get nowhere today so we went in trading on on Sunday morning and one of the other guys, so Pat would walk around and walk up by your face and smell your breath. So I've gone to training and he's gone, Georgie, you're okay today. He goes, you just chill out, sit down in the football there and watch training. I was like, oh, perfect, don't have to train. And uh, one of the other lads, I won't say it was though, but uh, one of the other lads was there and Pat went, is there a smell of, smell of alcohol off your breath? And like one of the lads went, uh, oh, Pat, I only had two or three points and they dropped the wife or the girlfriend home. Yeah. I was like, oh, you're drink driving. And like went nuts at him, and he got suspended for two weeks and got fined oh wages. And I was God. sitting on the football watching, like arguing out the night before. Sitting, so we shouldn't have admitted to it, like yeah, you know yeah, no, I mean? exactly. <laughs> With this fella, no, I'll tell you, you. If I told you it was, you'd laugh. So I was like, funny, like, but um, yeah, but that's what it was. Like I, I used to get away at murder, and like I seen Brian Lennox that Saturday, like, and I probably should have been sacked five or six times. Like I don't know how they persevered, persevered me. With Dolan though, did you have many European trips? Because the lads were telling me about his paranoia with spies. Yeah. What What, what was that about? Like, what's that about? See, Pat was fierce and tense, like, and you know, and I don't, I don't know half the time he put it on just to get in our heads, you know. Yeah. So, um, like, he would, go, we would do training sessions, and it would be normally me and Ben would have a scrap in the middle of the pitch. So he'll think there's scouts watching us or there are spies oh. watching us. So Bennett will come in and push me and me and Bennett would actually end up scrapping in the middle of the pitch like and the boys would be up in the stand going like these fellas are nuts like the two. So you do it on purpose. Like, yeah, so we do it on purpose like if we knew people are watching. So he was all kind of things like that. But he was, a, do you know what you can say, like Pat was a bit of a genius in his own way. Like what he did with Cork City changed the whole culture, mm. you know. And Pat was very, very good to me the whole way. Like, like I broke his heart. Um, like he used to ring me on a Saturday morning and say like where are you because he used to give us the responsibility to go to the gym right so he rang me one Saturday morning I was going out because it was the early kickoff in the Premier League so I was in Jim Cashman's and he rang to George Warren and I goes like I'm in the gym he goes well you're not here I'm here since 7 o'clock <laughs> so I'm like no Pat I am in the gym I goes I swear to God I'm in the gym and he goes no you're not George he goes he goes, I've been here since 7 o'clock and you haven't here and it's 1 o'clock now and I went, Pat, oh, please, we fuck off. I'm in Jim Cashman, just leave me alone. <laughs> because I'm not lying to you. So uh, it was just things like that, but it was just funny. But I'd, sometimes I look back and I don't know where I had the guts or the, the balls to come out with all that stuff. And then, um, was it Richardson came in after Pat? Um, yeah, Rico came in then. Yeah. Um, you had a famous thing. You, did you have a release about, not, a press release about not playing in a game with Rico? I was reading something about what, that. What happened with Rico was... I had, I had something wrong with my ankle and nobody believed me and I still actually knackered and they actually thought that I was making it up but Rico came out in Red FM and uh, said that I had uh, personal problems so I was driving in in my car into Bishopstown and Red FM news and you hear Rory like and you know 
well, Callan has personal problems. Sport yeah. is next. Like, I nearly crashed. I was like, oh, my God, what's wrong with you? So I rang Pat Dolan going in. And I said to Pat, I was like, you won't believe what Rick was there to do to me here. Like, so Pat's gone in and goes, go see Rico and tell him that's the most disgusting piece of management you've ever seen in your life. So all the lads were around and I goes, Rico, can I talk to you? And I go, no, that's the most disgusting piece of management you've ever you seen. You used like, them words. Yeah, and Rico went nuts at me. Oh, I can see where you went mad And he well, taught right? me where to go and I told him where to go. And I said, fine, I'm never playing again for you, so I'm done. And then it's like the story, like, them takes the piss, like, oh, there's the gate. And I was like, yeah, grand. I goes, well, I won't be back. And that's it, I left and never, never went back. And then we were in Champions League and everything. And I was, I was seeing something that, like, he had an opportunity to sell you at one stage, did he? And then he, he held you back. Yeah, so I had a chance. I think I had a chance to go to Celtic. And then I had a chance to go to Slavia Prague. I really wanted to go there. So I kind of agreed everyone with Slavia Prague that I was going to go there because we were just started playing him in Europe. And then um, what happened was then Ipswich came in for me and they kept me on the transfer window. The transfer window closes on the 1st of September. Yeah. So then I agreed I go to Ipswich, went over to Ipswich, agreed with them. But then Rico and Cork City messed it up for me so much just in spite. That just demanding a bigger fee or...? No, they didn't care. The fee was all done. They just didn't want me playing. So when the transfer window closed that night, Rico rang me and said, oh, you can go wherever you want now. I don't care. So then I couldn't play for six months until the following January. So then instead of going straight in, bang, fit with Ipswich. So he's like cost you a move... Yeah, well, I got to move eventually in but January. stalled your career, yeah, basically. Yeah, but I lost four or five months of that. Despite. Yeah. Yeah, they That's did incredible, that to me. Like, yeah. Just because of what happened in the training room that day, do you yeah. think? Yeah, and the thing was, those days, you didn't have social media, so you couldn't, like, come out and tweet yeah. or things. Yeah, all just happened. So, and then I, was, I wasn't in great books with all the media in Cork, so they were just getting spun stories they wanted, and just made me out to be this guy that did this and that. Yeah. And, do you know what? And then I was just like, God, I was in England anyway, training with Ipswich all the time. Like in the meantime, that October, then I got meningitis as well. So, you know, that was like a big shock and trying to get over that and try to get signed in January with Ipswich. So, like, caused a lot of chaos for me. But, listen, it happened now and it's over. Um, that 2005 team, you won the league, but you missed out in a double. Uh, the lads who I spoke to who were on it blames that on how much you drank after that league. Is that, a big, is that another regret or was that one of them things I enjoyed myself for them two weeks? Believe it or not, I never drank those 18 months. No way. I was the only one that didn't drink and I still get the blame for it. If I go tell people, sure you were on the piss all before the cup final, I actually was off the drink for 18 months because I, I went totally into professionalism mode. Yeah. So it wasn't me, it was the rest of that. Because when we won the league that night, I was in Rushdown Park with my mum and dad and my brothers and sisters and I actually got a... Oh, what's the chipper down there? Got a KC's and went up pub and went to bed. Believe it or not, boy, all the boys were celebrating. And when you're in your professional mode and they're drinking coming up to a cup final and you want to win that cup, at any stage you go to the boys, you need to stop now, but then they're like, you can't be saying this to us, like that kind of way. Yeah, no, it kind of came to the stage where I was kind of staying away from the lads because I knew I didn't want to get caught up and I didn't want to finish off the season. Mm. So I think the lads were kind of hiding it from me anyway. So I didn't really know what the lads were up to. I know now when they come in and all that. And I believe I have no sense of smell, right? I've never had smell. Right. So I couldn't smell drink off anywhere. And I wouldn't really know. I know now they'd been out. But yeah. I didn't think it was as, as bad as, as it ended up. Like, really, like, the lads took the piss. Like, like they constantly were, were out. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? And when we turned up for the cup final that day, we were shambles anyway. So, um, yeah, that was the biggest waste of but the But it's double. like, it's one of them catch-22s because I was saying it to the lads and they won the double as well. Like, I'm like, I think they went over a few days, which are like... I go out and enjoy the league no 
and like I've enjoyed winning the league but then if you lose the cup final and if you didn't go out you can't really go out after that then because no, it's no, tough like, it's yeah. like do I go out and enjoy it or then do I blame it but anyway so Ipswich and Jim Magilton was manager he's, he's another character surely in football yeah Jim was one of my favourite managers he was the only one really that I was really really scared of like I wouldn't mess with Jim like so when you were talking about one of them managers that fair like yeah. don't mess with him did no. anyone push his boundaries and no. Jim's too nuts like you don't mess with Jim like you're like like you just don't Jeez. go near Jim just let him. was he more like an old school manager yeah. run you into the ground did the players actually respect him or was it just fair though I think Jim I think Jim was a brilliant manager but Jim didn't actually coach us he trained with us so you'd be playing seven aside right. he'd be next to you playing on the seven aside he, just, he preferred to play with us and watch us and then he had, re- he had a couple of really good coaches around him that then, like, Jim would obviously do the team talks and all that, but the lads would basically do all the coaching and Jim would just, like, be around us and watching us all the time. Anyone get him in training then when they're not playing? No, no. Think, like, this is my chance, like, to get him? No, no one would have the guts for that. Did he ever get someone? Because I was listening to... Who did I listen to? Was it... Oh, I was listening to some podcast, another one, and they spoke about Mick McCarthy breaking Colin Healy's yeah. leg in training. I, th- I just thought, like, did he ever, Jill didn't ever get someone? How yeah, he did, man? he nailed loads of people. All yeah? Time. Yeah, all the time. Especially lads he didn't like, he'd absolutely go through Like, it'd be funny because I was alright because he liked me. But, like, you'd be laughing then, like, you know, like, imagine, like, like as the, the Con the Gaffer, like, going straight through fellas. Like, remember we went through uh, Liam Trotter one day, like, absolutely smashed Trotter. And was Trotter playing the team? He wasn't playing, he was just kind of on the outskirts of it. He'd never get a player who was playing. Yeah, like, really? I think Trotter's dad turned up like big six foot eight. Jim was in long back and down, down like. And what? But his dad coming to like tell him you're bullying my son or something I, like, I, that, like, like that. Like, I was like that. I think they kind of just kind of had a bit of banter about it, but we were all laughing because Trot's dad came in that day for some reason, and we were all like, "Oh, here we go now!" Like, see how clever the gaffer is now. Oh my god! And then you went on loan to Brighton as well. Were Brighton? Brighton. Were they in the Amex at that stage or no. were they in the old ground? That was the one reason I would have stayed at Brighton. I got offered a four-year contract at Brighton. And yeah. I, um, the one reason I didn't stay was because of the stadium. Because they were waiting to go into that lovely stadium. And we were just playing in the Whitdean, which is basically like, like it was like, you know, like a really old, like, yeah, like Waterford's ground actually, yeah. a bit like Waterford's, so you know what I mean? Probably a little bit nicer than Waterford. It wasn't what Portman Road was to me and I'm working so hard to yeah. get to the club like that. Um, because Jim and Jill sent me down to Brighton the first day and if you've ever been to Brighton in August Lovely. like yeah you just drive down you get to the end of the pair I rang Jim and Jill and I said like, like Jim have you sent me to Magaluf or to a football club yeah. like, this is the last place I need to be like because it's nuts like Brighton but um, I actually think I played my best football in Brighton that was the best place I played but I got kind of half thrown out of there as well over the chairman who was the chairman? Uh, Dick Knight like and his name first name sums that up anyway <laughs> but he, he um <laughs> Yeah, so I was kind of, I'd done really well. They offered me a four-year contract. I was holding out. I went on loan because I think Forrest came in for me, but I was going to stay at Brighton. We had a day on, on Boxing Day. We played Millwall. We lost 3-0 away. We just played terrible. But my contract was up. My, uh, my loan was up. And it was Dean Hammond, uh, Tommy Elphick. Uh, there's that Tommy Fraser. And um, a couple of more younger lads. They were young, but Dean Hammond and Tommy Mendonca have great careers. But I mm. said in the media, I wouldn't worry about my contract. I worry about the younger lads. I goes like it's like Christmas, summer, we're out of contract. Right. Bad Savage was out, and that's all I really said. I said I won't worry about my contract. I worry about the younger lads. I goes I'll be well able to look after myself. But Dick Knight took offence to that, so it went out. It went nuts. Uh, Dick Knight rang Ipswich, and I went back to Ipswich. But I didn't know what Dick Knight said to him. 
So I said to um, Jim Jilton, used to come in every morning in January and go, Good Christmas, George. You know, and he's naughty accent. Yeah. And I'd be like, Jeez, you had a great Christmas, Gaffer. Thanks, like, you know what I mean? Like, what's going on? Every day he yeah. keeps saying that, yeah. So then about, I knew Forrest were in for me in the middle of January, and I, I went in to see him in the office, and I said, Oh, Jim, like, what's the situation? Why aren't the clubs coming in for me? And he goes, Oh, you know well. And I goes, What happened? He goes, Oh, uh, Dick Knight rang and said that you were pissed in the changing room on Boxing Day. Which was a complete lie, it wasn't yeah. whatsoever. Like, because I was when I was in England, I was bang on, especially those days, I was professional as you could get. So I said to Jim Gillen, I goes, I literally will retire from football right now. I goes, if you think that's true, I goes, I don't care. Like, because I've always said that, and I didn't care if I played or not. I said, I'll give up right now. I goes, ring, um, who's my manager at the time? Dean Wilkins. I goes, ring Dean Wilkins and ask Dean Wilkins, was I? And he rang Dean Wilkins, I'll ring him on loudspeaker before I get out here. And he rang Dean Wilkins and he said, oh, Dean, Dick Knight rang and said, George was pissed on Boxing Day. And Dean Wilkins, when he goes, that's totally untrue. Like, he goes, George has been brilliant, professional owner. He goes, Dick Knight's just trying to take him out. But he goes, my job is on the line because he was under pressure. Yeah. He goes, I can't come out and back up from him because he goes, I'm going to get the sack. Which you, can, back un- up for you can understand as well. Like, that so, guy's got a family and everything. Like, And it's funny because the day I signed for Tranmere, I signed my contract and I did my medical. And Ronnie Moore came up to me, the manager, and said, Oh, David Sheepshank just rang and said you were pissed in boxing there uh, at Millwall when you were at Brighton. And I was like, what, man? My wife was actually with me. I was like, holy shit, like... That's unreal, isn't it? So that's why I was always when fighting against it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And when I was there, when I was at Ipswich and I was at Brighton, there was no one fitter than me. There was no one trained harder than me because I had to be that way because I was getting to 27, 28. Mm. But that's what you get to dealing with those clones that run clubs. And that's what it was. That's unreal. And do you think it's just because when you came up talking about them contracts that... I say he just thought that I was getting too big for my boots, which I was. I probably still had the characteristics that I had in Cork City where I could come up and say whatever I wanted. Yeah. And I probably thought I could get away with that at Brighton because I was playing so well. And I shouldn't have. It was none of my business. I should have just kept my mouth shut, signed my contract. But, like, that caused so much havoc for me then. Like, still, like, you know what I mean? So, mm. And you're fighting a losing battle then constantly. So, like, how am I going to come up against chairmans and managers and... Thing when you're just no exactly like you don't have the firepower behind no. you but I, I thought it's crazy that they've literally Ronnie Moore comes up to you yeah. years later and says it to you yeah. like and that's that's why when I say it to you 28, 29 I had enough of football because I was at the going through the mill I'd already had seven years in Port Fell and then I kind of came out the other side worked so hard to get over thing then get back to Ipswich but jeez Graham like I got offered some money to come back to Cork yeah I was a massive massive money man you could, I couldn't have turned it down if I tried no there's some weeks get on like I'll be coming up with seven or eight grand tax free. Jesus Christ! What? Yeah. <laughs> what? I thought, That's I, I was unbelievable. Ha- I, was, I was just uh, Emma was pregnant with Sadie at the time, and I, I actually used to keep the wage slips because I used to say to Emma like, "How is this going to last?" Like, because we played the Champions League was on Chelsea played Liverpool in the Champions League on Wednesday. We played Limerick. And, and you were on as much as Chelsea players at the time. <laughs> but I, oh I, think was, I think there was about, I think there must have been 500 at the match at Tornish Cross because everybody was watching Champions League semi-final. And I was on 750 appearance and 500 a goal. Like, and I think I scored two And you were on a clean sheet bonus. So you, Dennis was on a clean sheet bonus. The strikers on yeah. clean sheet bonus. So like, you know, the money we were offered was ridiculous. It was crazy money. Like, you know, Did you that. and Dave Mooney have a fight over a penalty? Yeah, because I was on 500 a goal. Of course we were. <laughs> 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 I actually scored. I scored 11 goals when we won the league in 2005 and everybody thought it was great. I came back there for, I said it was about three or four months and I scored 11 goals. I was top goal scorer and everybody thought it was shite. And I was playing right wing because... Adam Matthews didn't know where to yeah. put because we had Gamble and Healy and Farley. So. 
I can't believe that money was involved. I'd heard like there was a lot let. I'd heard there was good money, but I never realised yeah. that. But my bonuses and all that. Some some weeks my wages were up on that. But sure, like that was always going. To, what was their aim at the end of the day to get into the Champions League? I mean, the group stage is like that's the only way they're yeah, going to make their money so. back. Like, what what did all the rest of the players make of making your wages? Um, well, was, see, I was a very strong, was a very strong character in the changing room, so nobody would really say anything to me, you know. I think that's the way it always was. Like, or were you one of the highest? Like, there was no, no. They all go on about they were offered this and that. There was no one ever got paid what I got paid in the League of Ireland, without a doubt. Like, because it would be impossible. You know what I mean? So maybe I think there was a couple of lads up in same pass around three grand, but the wages that I was offered, like, were like for huge. Like, and I'd sign land fees with that and everything. Like, that's you know, like with 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 you know with our tax back as well. Yeah, in one sense that makes me ill because I'm thinking, why couldn't that been around? <laughs> no, like <laughs> geez, months. it's going the other way. No, like it doesn't matter. Four months is more than I've made in your whole career. <laughs> 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 that's unbelievable. And then uh, obviously, like you said, you went tram here, but like when you didn't, you didn't love it though, did you? Like you no. were just there for the money yeah. which which let's be honest like everyone works for their money like no yeah. one no one can put their hand up and say 100% I do this just for love like yeah. that's that's a lie like at the end of the day and uh, like what at that stage was your more like how did you feel going into training then every day like did you literally go I know the money's good but Christ this is killing me mentally like coming into this yeah. every day like no I was just shot because by the time I finished up with Cork City went back to Tranmere I just had enough of it, Graham. I, did, I really did, had enough of it. Like, I, I think mentally I was burnt out anyway. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I needed a break from it because, you know, there I had no summer. I was coming straight from yeah. England back into League of Ireland. Coming back in, I nearly went two years solid just constantly playing, dealing with all the stuff I have to deal with, kind of the baggage that comes with me. Yeah. And when I got to Tramway, man, I had enough of it then. I just, and then Ronnie Moore was just doing my head in every day and I just couldn't be arsed. I just thought, and that's, that's a terrible way to say when you're a yeah. footballer. But I, I just, I just couldn't face it anymore. I just didn't want to be there. I didn't want to I'm, every time you go back over, is your family going back with you? Yeah. Or were you by yourself? No, my family always came with but me. But that must, that must be tough then for them. Like uprooting, were they always okay to just go with you? I was like, jeez, like I'm doing this to them again. Like you gotta yeah. feel guilty as well going over. If you go, I'm not arsed, but I've dragged everyone else with yeah. me, so I can't just sack it up. Like you know that kind of way, sack it in. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and I would leave and like they leave everyone else deal with the houses and the packing up and moving mm. up, but. I think the thing with me as well, nothing's boring and everyone's kind of a bit exciting as always. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? It's not like we're doing, like when I'm there, we lived the life to the full, we did everything we yeah. wanted to do, like whatever we wanted or whatever we needed. So like we had a really, really good lifestyle, lovely lifestyle as well, you know what I mean? So, which was nice, do you know what I mean? So we never, like I was never one like for like staying in and yeah. like, think I'll be out, let's go for dinner, let's do this, do that. Like, and do you know what I mean? Our, our lives were good, like we had a really good time, you know, and enjoyed it. And then of course, I've seen you had a brief spell at Yeovil. Don't yeah. tell me you lived in Yeovil. No, Yeovil, that yeah. would have been an absolute... So basically, you live in Yeovil, the most exciting thing to do on a Sunday is go to Tesco's. It's the only thing <laughs> I can imagine. Why didn't yeah. you just live in Bristol or something, like get a good night out? Yeah, I thought that. But when I went to Yeovil... I, you had some good players there. We had good players, yeah, and we were in League One as well. Chalker was Stephen Cork. Stephen Cork and Ryan yeah. Mason. We Stephen Mason, who's playing midfield together, sent midfield together. Mm. And we had Jan Obika. Yeah. Um, played... No, we had some good players and they were a decent little team. But I kind of knew uh, when it kind of got to November, it just didn't suit me living in Yeovil. I'm not one for like driving in in an hour from Bristol, an hour and a half from Bristol yeah. or something like that. So I kind of said to the manager, well, this is I'm going to leave um, after Christmas. 
because I'm going to try to go abroad because I wanted to finish off abroad before I finished yeah. up. And uh, I kind of said that to them. And then he kind of came out in December and said he released me. He didn't. So I kind of went in and had it out with him in the office. I was like, did you really release me? Like, And he was like, George, I'm really scared of you. Please, can you stop shouting at me? Like, I was like, really? I was like I'm going to rip your head off. Like, like I goes, I have to go back to Cork now. Everyone thinks I've got released again when I told you I was leaving. So, um, but um, yeah, I was kind of, I, I enjoyed Yeovil, but it just wasn't for me. Like, when you came back to Cork, I remember I was actually there. Then Roddy was manager. Yeah. Oh, and Roddy, I swear to God, you, I thought... Cristiano Ronaldo was signing for Cork because our team talks is just pass the ball to George anytime you get it or friendly he's like no he's like let's be honest like you want ass like in a no. friendly and I'm like here was I like I was what 20 thinking full time I might get a chance at Cork City try my ass and he just walked in months later and Roddy just loved you like yeah. that would have been your easiest time in football had that club actually not gone belly up yeah and you know what the way Roddy was with me, he, he probably would have got, got the best out of me. You know what I mean? I would, I would have probably done it for him. I probably went right, and I wouldn't have left. Like same with Pat, with Pat Dolan, I kind of got to the stage where I'm not going to leave him down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Managers like that, I would be arguing or fighting with. I'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter. But for with Roddy that time, I do think I would have kind of like, I would have like kind of got a grip and said, listen, like at least do it for Roddy because he was great crack and it was fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I enjoyed him like yeah. for them couple of weeks. Like yeah. he's he's a like, totally different like, character. We went from him to Tommy Dunn. Like you know what I mean? Like that was like me watch, watching Mastermind. Like it's no interest in anything. Like I actually well like I <coughs> Tommy I brilliant for Tommy. Yeah, no, you were brilliant for him. But for me, he wasn't my type of manager at all. No. At, at that my stage of my career, like I, you can imagine Tommy doing drills with you know compared to when you were a kid yeah well I didn't enjoy it no <laughs> I was never on seven grand a week like do you know what I mean it's never on that money um, and then you finished off with DPMM yeah oh, like again like such a strange move like from if someone said to me no Graham you're getting to move to India you actually I remember you were an agent you tried to ring yeah. you rang me once and I was at Rochdale <laughs> and he said You've two days, get out of your contract. And I was like, right, I'm on loan at Rochdale. You said Francis Jeffers' move fell through. Yeah. And you're offering right. me things. Roy went. Look at Roy now. I made oh. Roy another couple of million. So I could have been Roy or Donovan. Yeah, that, actually Roy went instead of you. Jesus. And Roy's flying now. He's 36. I know. But like, how did that come about again? Like An agent. No, me and Gregor Halloran sat down. And uh, we were having a couple of drinks. And we said, right we went into a hotel uh, reception area they used to have the internet you know the way you put in two euro yeah. and we got up all the agents in football and Greg said close your eyes and I'm, I'm like press press one when I stop flicking down the list so when the list stop, I close my eyes and like stop we found a fellow called Kevin Horton and we rang Kevin Horton just random guy yeah. you just rang I just saw Kevin like like told him like about me like he, could, he knew who I was because he was down London area and I was like oh, I'll ring you back and he said oh listen I got a contact in Brunei do you want to go over there and try to Brunei I was like yeah no worries so, do you think he was taking the piss at this stage no because Kevin was kind of thinking I was like fine send me on the details I'll go and then I went over and trial played the first game I got a hat-trick but like we were only playing the Brunei under 21s teams mm. like, which was I ended up getting a hat-trick and then they offered me I was the first foreign player they were allowed to sign because they were also banned for corruption <laughs> and um, they, um, I was the first foreign player they had in about 3 or 4 years they brought him back in so was that, was that a, a life changing experience living on that culture I was you're, you're working for the crown prince of Brunei like he's like second richest man in the world he comes to every training session the players are completely useless he sits up and he sits up and he's thinking watch his training so for instance the first day I started they brought in a Croatian coach but he didn't want me 
because he wanted his own players from his own yeah. agency. So he was doing the whole time he was there, he was trying to get rid of me. So first day I'm then we jog down the pitch and you stop in front of the, the window. He's got a big massive building and he comes out and he stands up. So I was like stretching and just stuck my thumb up to him and like, oh, how's it going? Like, you know? So at the end of the month, I came back and like all the lads got paid and I had no wages. So we had a guy, Ali, who give the director of football. It's like, Ali, like, where's my salary? Like, he goes, oh, Crown Prince not happy with you. You just stick your thumb up. You don't bow oh, to him. No. And I was like, oh, Jesus, why didn't anyone tell me you had to bow to him? Like, you know? So uh, it was like that. I was learning. Man. It, was, it was amazing. Like, did you get them wages? I the got them eventually. <laughs> yeah, I had to get them. Got them about two weeks later, actually. She sure would have been on the first plane back if I didn't get yeah. them. Like. But, but it was... Um, it's like it was, kind of like England. You have to call the chairman, Mr. Chairman, don't yeah, you? Like yeah. you can't call him anything else. It was funny after I left and I started lads out over there as well. Uh, he, the Crown Prince, flew um, himself and the wife out for uh, his 40th birthday. Like so, like, all cool stuff like that, man. But that was a great experience. We were down next to Malaysia, go over the border, Malaysia at the weekends. Yeah. Come back into Brunei, like so. Yeah. But that's what I always wanted to do. And, I just wanted to live my life and live in the sun for a while. And, yeah. yeah. I suppose away from everyone that knows you as well, that kind of way. Like. Yeah, because then I got paid up. I got paid up a good bit of money in Brunei. So we literally had it. Another pay up. Like this guy. Yeah, yeah, so really money. That's the <laughs> agent. Uh, I got paid up and we flew into Stansted and my kids were used to the sun. We flew in, it was snowing. And uh, like it was in the winter and it was snowing. So I just said, oh, listen, I goes, just book somewhere hot. I goes, I can't be arsed, come back to Cork, and it was too cold, let's go somewhere to the sun. And we actually went out to Lanzarote, and with the payoff and the money, we just lived in Lanzarote for a year in a villa. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that I just retired over there. Was like, But, like, just listen to you, like, you've had a career, but you've had an amazing life with it, like, haven't you? Yeah. Like, you said, like, you're still, what are you, you know, 40 now? 40 now, yeah. And it's just been an unbelievable life so far, like, hasn't it? But it's, it's been entertaining, and, like, there's never a dull moment. Do you know, and that's the way I like it. Like, and like, listen, there's a lot of like I obviously had to do a lot of growing up because I have two kids now. You know what I mean? And yeah, do you know, it was grand when I was in my early twenties, and like, you can't hang a man for being a bit wild in his twenties. No, know? you can't really. But, like. but um, do you know, like, obviously, though, know, these days I love a lot more on the business side of things and everything's settled. Like, I'm, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a completely different life. But do you know what? It's always fun. It's always entertaining. Like, it kind of makes going into transitioning into business a lot easier going I've done all that yeah. when you see other people doing it no you are I've done that at least like yeah and that's the thing and, uh, and like as I was saying there like I was talking earlier with the lads like I think I kind of have like everyone has an opinion on me from 15 years ago they yeah. don't see the difference in me as in like as my life goes on as yeah. I get older like you know from say like 32 to 40 no one's seen that everyone's kind of interested in all the madness that went yeah. ahead like before that so uh, yeah but do you know what Graham Life's good, it's nice being home. My little boy's playing football, my daughter's flying. Do you know what I mean? I go Brilliant. watch City on a Friday night. It's great to see all you guys meet all the lads again. And do you know what? It's nice to come back. So I was away for so long for those five or six years. Yeah. I've seen nobody, and it's great to kind of catch up with everyone again. Made you miss stuff. Brilliant, George. Well, thanks for your time. No Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.